When, when last we left uh, Jonah, now he's been chucked overboard into the Mediterranean Sea in the middle of a storm, right? Y'all remember that from a couple weeks ago? So, um, so basically he's been treading water for about two weeks now, we've, we, which is pretty impressive, <laughs> right? Uh, in case you weren't here, just to give you a quick recap, Jonah is a, is a great prophet of Israel, um, and God calls Jonah to go and speak the city of Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, it's this horrible place full of people. They like worshipped idols, they worshipped death. And Jonah uh, said, "No, I don't think so." He runs the other way. He gets on a board uh, on board a, a boat to go to the westernmost, farthest reaches of the known world, then known as Tarshish, which was just like paradise. He thought, "I'll run away from God. Uh, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go to Tarshish." He gets on board the boat. God sends a storm, and they try everything in the world to keep the boat from sinking. Jonah and there's these other sailors on board, uh, and finally Jonah says, "It's." my fault. This is from God. And, and uh, they throw Jonah overboard, and he's treading water. No, for the past two weeks, he's been treading water. So here we are. We're going to be uh, today uh, looking at chapter 2, but chapter 2 really begins at the end of chapter 1. If you go to chapter 1, verse 17, it ends like this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now right here, as we mentioned a a couple of weeks ago, this is the point where some folks uh, are instantly like, wait, 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 seriously? I mean, seriously, right? Dude gets swallowed by a fish. Do I have to swallow this story? Right? This is, what, this is what some people like, right? Because people will say, look, it's 2016. Are we still telling these, you know, sort of pre-modern myths and fables and things like that? Do we, you know, seriously, people don't get swallowed by a fish, you know, unless they're a Disney character made out of wood or something like that, you know. So let me offer this thought. Let me offer this thought. To those who are like, you know, I just can't wrap my mind around a story of a guy getting swallowed. A fish. Surely it's got to be a parable or, or a metaphor, or maybe the story is just there to teach us some kind of lesson. I would say this, great, that's fine. That's fine. You can, you can absolutely believe that it's, it's, a, it's a parable. You can do that. But let me say this, that the danger here is that oftentimes this viewpoint is, is driven by a worldview that says nothing bizarre or weird or miraculous ever happens. It's a a view of the universe that says that the only things that happen are things that we can rationally, cognitively explain using our intellect, okay? Like the universe is this closed system that nothing miraculous ever happens. So when someone says, you know, I can't do the miracle thing, the problem with that is how far do you take that? Do you then, are you going to then deny all unexpected, inexplicable things? Because the thing is, my experience has been that the universe is one strange, odd, place. Amen? Now, there are things in the Bible that are parables. There's things in the Bible that are, that are parables, metaphors, poetry, inspired uh, passages in the Bible. Everything from the 23rd Psalm. Thank you, sir. Everything from... You want me to shut this one off? I'll do that. The 23rd Psalm. 
you know, everybody's heard of the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, right? That's not actually a literal account of a sheep that went and had dinner on a table in the presence of his enemies by a river, right? It, it is a, a poetic ode to the faithfulness of God. Uh, everything to, from that to, to the story Brother Monique Benosa just taught us last Sunday. Our, our guest minister talked about the, uh, the Good Samaritan, um, you know, in the parables of Jesus, nobody ever has arguments over whether Jesus' parables are true or not, right? Because that's not the point, right? Nobody's trying to find archaeological evidence for the Good Samaritan, you know, or trying to find the pigs that the prodigal son went and lived with. Because, because it literally happening isn't the point. The fact is, the point is that these stories are truth, they are truth, right? So the Bible tells these stories. Uh, Jesus tells those parables so that we would find ourselves in the story. Wouldn't you agree? We would find ourselves in it and that the Spirit of God would convict us, heal us, move us, grow us up, make us more Jesus-like people. That's the point of these. And so really, when you think about it, it's just as much of a mistake uh, to, to take something literally that is clearly meant to be literary or figurative, uh, as it is to take the, the literal commands of God and just con- consider those sort of like colorful suggestions, right? Because God gives us literal commands, and a lot of people just take those as, eh, I didn't really mean it. So here, the point is, and, I, and I'm really not talking about Jonah at this point, I'm just telling us something that'll help us, help us to grow, um, help make us mature Christians. Mo- both misinterpretations of Scripture do damage to the truth and the intent of God's word. Both misinterpretations. So we have to be wise, don't we? Right? Some people are like, well, that, that, may, that it just sounds complicated. Well, yeah, we're talking about God. So it might get a little complicated, right? That's okay. His ways are above our ways. His, his mind is above our ways. So we have to be wise. We have to be led by the Spirit when we're studying Scripture. That's very important. And we have to in community, dig into the context and the spirit of Scripture. And it's important that we do that in community, right? It's important that we do that together, right? The Bible is meant for us to study these things in community, together, to study His Word. That helps us not get weird, right? You're really not supposed to, like, go off by yourself to the, and live at the top of the mountaintop all by yourself to figure out truth. That's how weird people are created, right? See, we keep each other, we keep each other in check. So we, we could say it this way. It, it's okay to view a story like Jonah uh, metaphorically or, liter- or literarily. Um, as I said last week, I take a literal approach. I, I assume that this story is an, an actual historical account of a miraculous event. But here's the caution. Just make sure that you're not doing so Make sure you're not taking it as a metaphor because it sounds impossible. Don't take it as a, as a parable because that would require a miracle. That's the caution. Because there's nothing that God cannot do if he chooses to do it, right? Nothing he can't do. So we might put it this way. We're to let wisdom and not doubt drive our interpretation of Scripture. Let wisdom drive your interpretation of Scripture. Don't let doubt drive your interpretation of Scripture. I want to tell you about a really beautiful experience that we had uh, last week in our deeper small group. It was really a cool thing that, that I experienced, and it was just beautiful. We were discussing this very issue 
And in the same room, in our small group room, we had represented both perspectives of this, both opinions of this story, the literal take and the literary take. And, and we discovered something amazing. Number one, that you can take either position, and it has nothing to do with how much you love Jesus or how good a Christian you are or how able we are to walk in unity. Right? That was mind-blowing to some folks, I'm sure. But it gets even better than, to, than that. We also discovered that when, in, in that context, when we actually listen to each other, when we listen, there are really valuable aspects of this story that both sides bring to the table. Um, for example, folks like me who've, who've never, uh, who have never really assumed anything other than Jonah being literal, a uh, literal specific miraculous event. The folks who see it as a parable... What they bring to the table for me is the reminder, number one, that this story is relevant for all of us, right? We are Jonah. It is for all of us. It's not just like a newspaper account of one dude and a fish, you know, that you like read in the morning with your coffee and you think, that's weird, doesn't apply to me, right? No, no, no. We see ourselves in that story. It's relevant for all of us. Um, and, and it holds truth for all of us. And the other thing that I noticed they brought to the table was th- they remind us that if, if you see this story as a divinely inspired parable, then every single detail, every word has incredible meaning because it's all there on purpose right? There's no uh, just non-essential trivia that you could just throw out that aren't part of the story. It's all there on purpose to grow us. So there's value to that. And then what we also discovered is that for those in the room who had always just approached it as a parable, uh, as a, a way to, you know, view, they viewed Jonah as a parable uh, revealing the character of God or the desperate condition of man, for them, the literal view reminded them that this is truly a personal God, This is a God who will chase and pursue you, not just all mankind, but you, that he loves you, that he knows where you are. He knew where Jonah was, and that was a beautiful thing. And and also, of course, as we said before, it's a reminder that God can do anything. However miraculous it looks, however improbable it seems, God can do anything. So I just said all that to um, amazing things happen when we as believers— listen to one another, and, and we, 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 we don't let either interpretation make us miss the point of becoming a more Jesus kind of person. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, we, we approach, when we approach these stories, when we come together in the spirit of relationship to study the Word instead of a spirit of religion, it's an amazing thing happen. Aspects of the story that you never thought of before will pop out when we come together in a spirit of relationship. Okay, all of that. Here we go. Verse 2. Now, the rest of this chapter is, is really a prayer. It's a prayer of Jonah. And uh, it, it's a short chapter. It's only eight or nine verses he prays here. He says this, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for you, and you listened to my cry. Now, there's something really interesting in this verse. The Hebrew name that he uses for realm of the dead, that phrase, it's the word sheol. Sheol, sometimes translated hell in some of your Bibles. It's the, the Jewish 
people believe this was the underworld that you went to after you died. So, so effectively, the afterlife, the underworld you went to, which has caused some scholars to wonder if he's, again, being literal or metaphorical here. So if, if you're on the literal train, you know, this is a real story, everything's literal, then that would suggest that Jonah actually drowned in the sea and that God resurrected him back to life. That's what some uh, scholars have, have wondered. And so you, you understand this literal versus metaphor question never ceases, right? Amen. Y'all are awfully quiet. I'm going to assume it's because your wheels are turning, okay? Here we go. Verse 3, he says, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and this the current swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. Verse 4, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you and to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That is one wild story. (laughs) So Jonah ends up in the fish... And don't get hung up on what kind of animal that was. The Hebrew term there literally means great sea creature. It could be fish, whale, whatever. Um, he utters, and in the, in the belly of this, this whale, of this fish, he utters this eloquent prayer. And then he's vomited onto dry land. A couple of thoughts here I want to explore this morning. Remember back in uh, chapter 1, verse 3. It says, after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. So something we want to understand about Joseph, uh, Jonah right off the bat. It turns out the journey to Tarshish is a long way. That's a long journey. And some estimates are that for them back in the day, this journey would have taken up to a year by ship. Because you would, you would start out and then you would have to pull into ports here and there as a storm season passes and you wait for the storms to pass and then you keep going. Uh, and so that anybody who, this is somebody apparently who can afford a journey that would take perhaps a year. Has anyone here ever taken a year off for a cruise around the world? Anybody done a year-long cruise? Not inexpensive, right? Not inexpensive. So, so what it shows us here is that here's a man with some means. Here's a man who can purchase a ticket on a boat for a journey that might take up to a year to the farthest known western reaches of the world, start a new life there, and along the way he can pay his room and board for that entire time. This is a man with some means. He can afford this year-long journey. It's a man with options. It's a man of, of wealth. He's not some poor prophet. He's, he's a man who's able to pay his fare to Tarshish, a man of standing. A person who might would say, if God said, I want you to go to Nineveh, this horrible place, this den of sin, a person who might go, no, I don't have to do that. I have other options, right? That's the picture here. And now he's in a fish. 
So this man of standing, he has titles. He's the prophet of Israel and all this sort of thing. He's about as far in the pits of despair as you can possibly get. He's not really living. He's not dying. He's like in between, right? In between living and dying, in between life and death. He has means. He had power. He was the prophet of Israel. And now, what is he? He's just Jonah. He's a dude and a fish. No title, no wealth. He, he is literally stripped bare to his, his bare self. So here's what we might say about the storm. Storms reveal. Stor- storms expose who we really are. We find out what this man is made of here. The storm has a way of stripping away all the other stuff in our life, doesn't it? What do the sailors do? Remember last, or a couple weeks ago when we looked at this, what do they do in the storm? They start chucking cargo over the side of the boat, right? Now that couldn't have been an easy decision because cargo is valuable. It's why they're doing this whole trip. It, cargo is wealth. It's their livelihood. It, it means everything to them. But in the midst of the storm, all that stuff that meant something becomes worse than worthless, right? All of a sudden, it, it's actually a liability to staying alive. It's heavy stuff that just threatens to sh- uh, sink the ship. And so now this thing that had great value before, in the, in the storm it has no value. And the stuff that seemed worthless before the storm, suddenly it is, it is worth everything. And they're tossing this cargo over as fast as they can. What the storm does is change what things are worth. Valuable things become worthless Ordinary things become incredibly valuable to us in the storm. If you find yourself in a storm or swallowed by a fish, you find that it reveals who you really are. Jonah can't rely on his wealth or his social status or his power. He can't buy himself out of this one. He can't cleverly think his way out this time. It's just... Jonah. Nothing else. That's what storms do. We quickly find out what kind of person we are. We find out the essence of our character, our integrity, our identity. There's this great story in the New Testament of Jesus and his disciples. They're in this furious squall, it calls it, on the, on the Sea of Galilee. In Mark chapter 4, it says, And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Verse 39 says, He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. These guys were not quick, right? (laughs) They just witnessed him doing like the miracle of the 5,000, you know, the feeding all these people. The storm reveals their anxiety. It reveals their lack of faith, their lack of peace. The storm reveals all sorts of things about the disciples. And Jesus, he calls them on it, right? He's like... It's like, look at what this storm has dragged out into the open about you guys. Aren't you guys farther along than this? Really? 
are you really worried here? Did you really think like we were going to drown? And then we'd like be at the pearly gates and I'd be like, whoa, I, I didn't expect that to happen. Sorry. I, I, I was really tired. Right? Look what the storm has exposed and revealed about the disciples. And, and, and look at what it reveals about Jesus Christ. His true nature comes out. The disciples are left going, who is this that commands the wind and the waves, right? His true nature. Because storms reveal the core of our being. It's what storms do. They also expose all the trivial things that we've been stressing over. The storm reveals exactly what we've built our house on. It reveals if you've built your house on the sand or on the rock. Before the storm comes, you don't know. But the storm reveals exactly what your house is built on. And you know people who have been through the storm. You can see it in their eyes. When you see somebody, when you witness somebody who has had their character shaped by the winds and the waves, and you know they've been through the belly of the beast, it's like, you can see it in their eyes, right? They're a different sort of person. It's the look of somebody who's faced fear, and they have more clarity than ever of what really matters. So storms and fish reveal that. Something else the storm reveals is, you know, the circumstances in our life, they have a way of making it crystal clear of of how very much you are not in control, don't they? We live most of our day by this delusion that we got it all together. We're keeping all the plates spinning Everything's fine. Everything is in our control because we've planned really well. We, you know, we planned our work. We're working the plan. And that, you know, how much of, of life is, is you trying to solve things through your own power, right? And then the storm comes, and we find out that that lack of control is terrifying for a lot of people because you find out you're actually not in control of a whole lot, Right? Even those of us who don't think of ourselves as control freaks, you may not think of yourself that way, but the truth of the matter is many of us have booked our passage for Tarshish. We're on the boat. We've made our plans, and, and we're going no matter what. Now, what we would like is for God to be on our side and to bless our trip to Tarshish, you know, and we pray spiritual things like, God, just keep opening the doors. Keep opening those doors for me because I'm going to Tarshish. Just bless it, sort of rubber stamp everything that I want to do, Lord, right? But please, God, do not start telling me to go somewhere I don't want to go. Don't tell me to do something else, because that's really not what I want this relationship to be about, right? I mean, I want this relationship, but I really, I want you to just okay all my decisions, bless my decisions, and what I want more than anything in the whole wide world is to be in control. That is what we really want. We want to call the shots. That's what we want. And circumstances, and the storm comes, and we're swallowed by a fish, and those things are incredibly effective at making us realize how absurd the notion is that we are in control. The storm reveals what's inside us, reveals our character, our motivation. It reveals what really matters, and it reveals Who's really in control? Now, uh, I'm going to switch gears here for a second because there's something else really cool happening in this chapter that, that I really I want to point out here. Notice uh, Jonah's prayer. 
He says, in my distress, in verse 3, he says, you hurled me into the depths, all your waves and breakers. In verse 4, he said, I've been banished from your sight. You know, we'll look again. Verse 7, he says, when my life was ebbing away. And he ends the whole thing with, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Now, how many of you, the last time you were swallowed by a fish, like, like you do, gasping for air in that methane-filled stomach chamber, how many of you prayed a prayer so eloquent as this? Right? See, there's two kinds of prayers. Now, you know, theologians, you know, will tell us there's like seven or eight different kinds of categories of prayer. But effectively, it really boils down to two major kinds of prayers. The first kind of prayer is thanksgiving. The, the prayer of thanksgiving. It's, it's what many of us will do after church is over. We'll go somewhere, and, and before we eat, we have a meal, and we say grace as a sort of way of, you know, pausing and acknowledging that without his grace, we very well could be among the people on the planet who aren't going to get to eat today. And so we tell him, thank you. It's, it's a prayer that says, I am grateful. There's another kind of prayer that's basically, help! That prayer. Um, Dear God, I have been ingested by this large marine mammal. The smells I am currently experiencing I would not wish on my worst enemy. Very soon, I will pass through the intestinal canal of this animal, an experience I am not looking forward to. If there's anything you can do, dear God, help, help, help! Get me out of here! (laughs) When we pray our help prayers, how many of you agree they're not always that articulate? Right? There's sort of this guttural thing. Um... My favorite form of the help prayer, uh, none of you, I'm sure, have experienced this. It's, I call it the flashing lights prayer. You're driving along, and out the corner of your eye, you see the, that certain kind of car that's been waiting on the other side of the bridge. Suddenly, you see those flashing lights in your rearview mirror, and you're instantly praying. You're instantly breaking, and then you're praying, no, 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 God, 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 oh, please, God, please, God, please, God, no, 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 God, oh, please, not me, not me, not me, not me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll never speed again, right? Please, oh God, let him be coming out really fast behind me just to pass me. Please, 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 right. The, the prayer that we pray at that moment is not, there, there isn't even like one single coherent word, right? It's just a bunch of visceral emotion coming up, this cry to heaven for the trooper to please pass us by. So there are prayers of thanksgiving, and then there are prayers of help. And what you find in the Psalms all those beautiful prayers in the middle of your Bible, the Psalms, you find these two kinds of prayers. They can really be divided into these. There's the, these beautiful prayers of thanksgiving, and there's these cries for help. We call them the Psalms of lament. There's these, they're the heartbreaking cry out to God. You hear, the, you hear the sorrow. You hear the desperation, the tears, the fist shaking to heaven, these kind of things, these, these Psalms of lament. Now, it turns out, here's what's cool. Here's what's cool. Jonah's prayer, turns out, it's not entirely original. Every line from his prayer is taken from the Psalms. Jonah knows the Psalms. He knows his Bible. The line about distress is from Psalm 30, from 120. It says, deep in the realm of the dead. That's Psalm 18. Waves and breakers is from Psalm 42. Banished from your sight, Psalm 139. Holy temple, Psalm 5. Engulfing water threatening threatening me, Psalm 69. From the pit, Psalm 30. Life ebbing away, Psalm 142. And salvation comes from the Lord. That's the famous part from Psalm chapter 3. 
Now, here is the real surprise, because you would expect Jonah's prayers to come from a certain kind of psalm, to be quotes from these psalms of lament. But these are psalms not of woe and lament. Jonah quotes from the psalms of thanksgiving. His entire prayer from the psalms of thanksgiving. You would expect, I would expect at least, in the fish, Jonah to pray what? Help! And he doesn't. The narrator here quotes Jonah with these psalms of thanksgiving. See, our assumption in these moments in our life, our assumption is that Jonah, he desperately needs to be rescued from this fish. But what's going on here is way more revolutionary. We might say it this way, that Jonah, that we we often want to be rescued from the fish and the storm when the fish and the storm are often what rescues us. Jonah didn't need rescue from the storm or from the fish. They were sent by God. The storm and the fish are what rescues Jonah. We assume all the time. We find ourselves in the fish. We cry out to be rescued. But Jonah's response to the fish, he understands exactly what's happening. Because his response is, Thank you. This is exactly what I needed. Thank you. See, the story that we read begins with these two opposing wills. There's God's will and there's Jonah's will. God's agenda, Jonah's agenda. And, and what we find is these two wills simply are not compatible, are they? They can't cohabitate. And by the time we get to the fish, this is somebody who realizes that he is being rescued from himself, we all read the story. We read the story and we, we agree that God, he's rescues Jonah in the nick of time. Whew, way to go, God. But it's not from the storm. And it's not from the fish that God rescues Jonah. It's with the storm, with the fish, that God rescues Jonah from himself. That is a picture of the love of God. What you find from his prayer, Jonah, for the first time, In this story, we see that he is being saved from his smallness, from his pettiness, from his hard heart, that self-centeredness. Everything revolved around Jonah and his worldview in which everything revolves around his choices, his desires. It's kind of like that that moment in the movies, you know, when somebody's like freaking out, they're going hysterical and somebody just slaps them and they sort of stop for a second and they're stunned and then they say, thank you, I needed that. I'm okay. I lost it there for a second. I'm back. This is like what's happened to Jonah. We we all want to be rescued when it seems like everything's blowing up around us. But sometimes it's the fish and the storm that have been sent to rescue us. How often do we resist God? We go off and we do our own thing. We make our own plans. We resist him. We disobey And then we resist the storm that, of course, results from that disobedience. The storm comes, and we resist that. And we want nothing to do with that fish that's being sent to us in that time of transition. That's not a fun time. Jonah's not having fun in the fish. We're like, oh, no, 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 no. God, you got to get me out of here. And yet, how many people I can think of, I know, who have went through something awful, And then in the midst of it, and especially on the other side of it, 
I've heard him say, you know, in a strange sort of way, that storm saved me. It saved me from myself. All of a sudden, in that storm, my, my priorities shifted. It was like a slap in the face. Suddenly, my sense of what matters shifted. What doesn't matter, it all got flipped around. We, we might say it this way. You never have to fear the storm or the fish that's sent by God to rescue you from yourself. If God did not love Jonah, if he did not love Nineveh or love those sailors, he never would have sent a storm. It would have been smooth sailing for Jonah. He never would have prepared a fish to rescue Jonah from himself. He'd have let Jonah live the rest of his life in isolation and regret, right? That would have been Jonah's story and probably wouldn't have heard about it. He would have just been a forgotten man who lived in isolation and regret. Um, here, here in this season of, of Lent, we're, we're in the season of Lent, these 40 days of self-examination and repentance. Do you find yourself in a storm? Do you find yourself swallowed by a fish and you're desperately trying to get out of it? You're desperately trying to avoid it. When maybe... What if the lesson here is not to beg God, get me out of this, but rather, God, I am in this, so reveal to me what I'm really being rescued from. What are you inviting me to let go of? Whatever it is. Because we can be sure that he is faithful. And we can say, God, I know you're faithful. I know you're going to deliver me. You're going to work out all things for my good. So what are you inviting me to be free of? What if we prayed that? Now, when you're attacked, pray for deliverance. Obviously, of course, pray for deliverance. Pray for healing. Yes, God invites us to do that. But see, don't let the experience that you're going through, don't let it be wasted on you. And don't make the mistake of thinking, this is just an attack of the devil. Because I haven't done anything wrong, right? This is just an attack of the devil, has no other meaning. Don't let it not be an opportunity for growth. Maybe an opportunity for you to grow in your relationship to Jesus. Because he's always trying to work things out for that. He wants you closer to him. He wants that relationship with you. He's always trying to mold us more and more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, right? He's always at work at that because he loves you. And maybe, just maybe, you might find that the storm has been meant to save you from something worse. There are these times we find ourselves in our, in our deepest, darkest moments. I think about that Saturday after the crucifixion, before the resurrection. To the entire planet, that had to seem like the darkest day of humanity. Those circumstances that happen in our life, they, they hurt us. Those things that happen in your life that make you feel jealous, that make you feel hatred. Now, in those times, we can moan and we can lament and we can lash out, or we could see the storm for what it is, sent not to destroy us, but to resurrect inside us something that has died, something dead. And we can stop and we can pray psalms of thanksgiving for God that he has saved us, 
thanking him for turning our hearts back to him, back toward love, turning our hearts back to relationship, back to the, and that, that thing that, that we fear the most might actually be sent to help save us from our smallness, our pettiness. So here's what I know about God. I know he loves you. I know he loves you more than anything. I know he wants a relationship with you. And he will do incredible, wild, dangerous things to have that relationship with you. He wants that. And whether you're crying out for help or you're praising him in thanksgiving, you know what? He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear you cry out to him because he is always ready and re- ready and willing and waiting to answer. He wants to answer because he does hear you. The God that I know and love, he always hears the cry. He always hears the cry of our heart. He is not deaf. He is not powerless. He hears you. He knows exactly what's going on with you. And he loves you. He doesn't want to make things hard on you just because it's fun. He loves you so much. He is love. And that love, sometimes it's a raging love, right? It's a furious love. It's a jealous love. It's not a tame love. It's not a grandfather's love. It's a father's love, right? A father's love. He is love. And that ocean of grace, sometimes it is a deep and scary thing, but he is love and he is faithful. He will not run from you. However hard you run from him, he will not run from you. However much you probably wish that he would just leave you alone, he will not give up on you. It is not in his nature. Our God is relentless. He died for us when we were still sinners. Before, we, before the first person asked for forgiveness, he decided, I'm going to die for them. Right? He has made the first move. So what does he want from you today? Simply for you to turn to him and surrender. That's what he wants. All of yourself. He wants all of yourself. The good, the bad, the ugly. He wants it all. Surrender it all to his will. And this is the place that Jonah finally comes to here. There in that dark, wet, stinking bowel of the whale, he surrenders to God. And he recognizes that this is the God who was there all along. It was impossible to run away from God. He was there all along. He's been chasing him the whole time. At the end of his prayer in verse 9, Jonah says, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. That is worship. That's gratitude. It's, what this is, is Jonah's response to God's pursuit. And never, never make this mistake. We, his, one of the mistakes we make is we think, well, if I initiate a relationship with God, maybe he'll respond. But the truth is, he initiates it. God initiates it every time. And we respond. God pursues. And we respond. He's the one who's been doing the pursuing. We haven't initiated this relationship. He has. And Jonah recognizes this, which is why his prayer isn't a cry for help. It is a prayer of thanksgiving for salvation. He recognizes the God who initiated the pursuit. So this week, I invite you, before you start your day, before you, you know, you start making all your plans, 
before you inevitably beg him to save you from whatever storm and, and fish that you find yourself in. This week, write your own song of thanksgiving to the Lord. Praise him for his goodness and for his relentless love. And ask him to reveal to you all the ways that he is growing you into the image of his son. Will you do that? Amen. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I invite our prayer partners to come down forward. Hallelujah. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for being the God who pursues us. We thank you, Father God. You are the God who will leave the 99 to come find the one who's wandered away. Father God, we are desperate for your mercy that is brand new every morning. You never give up. You never give up on us, Father. And we thank you. We can't fathom that kind of love, that kind of grace. We thank you for it. Father, I ask that you speak this morning to every heart here. Those of us who have been far away from you. Those who have have wandered our own way. We thought we were doing it on our own. We didn't really think you were in the picture. And now we realize you have been there all along, wooing us, pursuing us, tugging at our heart, knocking on the door. Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit just to break through all the barriers. Create in us a heart that hungers for you, Father. Help us to thirst for you, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for saving us. We thank you for sending salvation our way, Lord God, for sending your Son who died on the cross and rose again so that we could be saved. We thank you for that, Lord God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much. If, if this is you, I invite you, don't leave. This is very serious. Don't leave today without coming up and talking to one of these awesome people here who, who just would love to pray with you. They want to pray in faith with you. If you're here today and you want to rededicate your life to God, you want to give him your life, maybe you want to say for the very first time, hey, I'm just discovering this whole thing about Jesus and I want, I want in on that. I want to know about Jesus. I want to give him my life. I want to, I want to give up because it's not working on my own. If that's you, come up and pray with these wonderful people and they will pray in faith with you and your life will never be the same. Amen? Amen. You guys have the greatest week you've ever had. We'll see y'all later.